How you guys doing? You guys doing good? You guys super, super quiet? You guys doing good? No, no, no. You guys don't have to be quiet. You guys are having a moment there. How about everyone get up and, 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 and shake everybody's hand at least once? So everyone's got to shake everybody's hand at least once. And then as you're coming back, as you're coming back to your seat, open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, guys, welcome back. Welcome back. How many of you guys? How many of you guys like that song that we just closed with? Yeah, it's a good bridge. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. How many of you guys? Want to go to that place where you trust without borders and you just let God take control. I like that. That's good stuff. Well, hey, guys, we are uh, continuing our study uh, through the book of Ephesians. Aaron, you're my PowerPoint guy, so you need to get back there. Thanks, brother. So how are you guys uh, enjoying our study through the book of Ephesians? We're two weeks into it. Uh, we're having a lot of fun. Uh, at least I'm having a lot of fun. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I'll tell you what, studying the book of Ephesians is just killer. Uh, I'm loving it. I hope you guys love it as much as I do, if not more. Um, This is a book that is just rich, uh, and it is full of stuff for us to apply to our everyday lives, like I mean today. Um, And and we can learn so much uh, from the book of Ephesians, from this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Um, I just want to forewarn you guys. Uh, in two ways. First off, be forewarned, you want to take notes tonight. Uh, so you ha- if you have something to take notes with, uh, pull it out and get ready just to start taking notes right away because we are power packed tonight. We're going to try, uh, Lord willing, to get through the sermon. Uh, we're going to try, Lord willing, to get through the intro. Uh, praise the Lord for long intros. Amen. Amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, though, let me see them. I love seeing your Bibles. Old leather bounds and uh, uh, new uh, aluminum bounds. Uh, smartphone Bibles, praise the Lord. Uh, we're going to pray. Uh, I know we normally read and then we pray. We're going to just pray to start because uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Does that sound good? And uh, I just know for me to get through these notes, we just need to bathe this thing in prayer. Amen? All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, we just thank you uh, that your word is truth. Uh, God, that your word is perfect. Uh, God, that your word uh, is just as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. God, we thank you that your word is never ancient or or out of date. Uh, But God, you have something to say to your people each and every day um, now. So God, we just thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for allowing us all to gather here. God, thank you that we survived the snow. Um, And God, we thank you that sunnier days are ahead of us. Uh, God, we just pray that tonight as we spend these next few moments looking through your perfect word, God, that each and every single one of us would be encouraged by what your word has to say. Uh, God, that it would build us up in our most holy faith. Uh, God, I pray that we would be, uh, God, inspired by what your word has to say. God, that we would look at things maybe in a way we never have before. Um, God, that our eyes would be open uh, to the truth that your word has for us. And God, as we are being encouraged and inspired by your word, God, I pray that each and every single one of us would be challenged uh, by your word. God, that we would not be able to walk out of these doors the same way we came in, uh, but God, we would be challenged by what your word has to say to us. Uh, God, and we would live our lives uh, more like you, uh, God, and for you. 
So God, we just thank you. We just pray that none of these would be my words, uh, but God, that you would speak through me and anything that would be of me may it fall on deaf ears or may I not even be able to get it out of my mouth. Uh, God, may we let your perfect word uh, ring through. So God, we just thank you and we praise you. In your son's name we pray and everyone says amen. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1, there's a lot of a lot of different things that we're going to talk about tonight. But before we move any forward, uh, we got to do a little bit of review. Okay? And and I'm good to you guys tonight because i got slides for you. So if you're taking notes, check out the slides. Um, there's a lot of good information. Uh, but we're going to just do a, a little quick review on what we talked about last week. Because um, last week wasn't really our introductory uh, uh, sermon, but there was a lot of stuff that we covered. So I just want to uh, inform you that uh, last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 through the end of the chapter. Uh, and we looked at a breakdown or an outline of this letter. Um, and so what this looked like uh, was, was we said that the book of Ephesians is really going to break down into three uh, different ways. Uh, the first is that of the richness of a believer, uh, the reflections of the believer, and the readiness of the believer. And these uh, three things, I told you to write them down last week. If you didn't, no worries. You can do it this week. Uh, but those are the richness of the believer, uh, the reflections of the believer, and the readiness of the believer. And what these are is, is the first one, which is the richness. We're talking about the blessings and the wealth that we have as believers, as followers of Christ. And we're going to really look at what that is tonight as we take a look at um, what the blessings are uh, that God has blessed us with along with salvation. I know I'm blocking the screen for some of you guys. Uh, but we talked about last week how salvation uh, is a package deal, and there's so much great blessings uh, that come with salvation. The reflections there of the believer uh, is is as we walk, and we're going to be seeing this in the next few weeks, but as we walk as believers, are we reflecting Christ in the way that we live our lives? And if we're not, well, then we're doing something wrong. We're being hypocrites, okay? We need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, proverbially uh, speaking. And the last one was the readiness of the believer, and we wanted to talk about um, the spiritual warfare uh, that Christians may face because let's face it when you are uh, receiving the blessings of Christ uh, and when you are reflecting Christ in your everyday walk you are going to face um, some persecution maybe from man you're going to face some persecution uh, in the supernatural realm so we got to be ready as Christians in season and out uh, to defend our faith but also do some spiritual warfare and we're going to talk about uh, the armor of God and all those things uh, that go with that I also want um, so let you guys know, as we know, that this is a letter written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. And that the phrase, in him, or in himself, or in Jesus, occurs 27 times in this book. Everyone say, 27 times? 27. I know, right? That's a lot of times. So that's really going to be the overriding theme of this book, in him, the life of the believer in Christ. Uh, so this is really, really cool. Um, so guys, tonight we're just going to talk uh, a little bit more about the richness of the believer um, and, and how that's a package deal um, and how we are a work in progress. You guys remember last week how we talked about art uh, and how if we were to take a look at a Picasso halfway through it, we'd all be confused. But Picasso knows, knows what was going on because he knew what the masterpiece was going to look like before it was finished. Uh, and how many of you are glad that you are not the masterpiece yet? And you are glad that you're a work in progress. I'm glad I'm a work in progress. And trust me, I'm glad you guys are a work in progress also. Amen. Amen. Good. Aaron, you can go to the next slide. Let's see. Um, okay, so yeah, last week we also talked about uh, this thing. Uh, it's, it's a debate in theology. It's a debate in Christianity uh, between two different uh, groups. Uh, and, we, and we talked about... Um, 
Is it our choice when it comes to salvation, or is it God's choice? Uh, how does this work? We looked at both Arminianism and Calvinism. We looked at the, uh, the flaws that both of them have, uh, whereas an Arminian, uh, some would uh, lack the discipleship, uh, maybe that a Calvinist would, and just say, hey, you are now a Christian. Go live your life. Uh, that's wrong. Um, but on the same side, the Calvinists, Folks, they have some issues uh, with their theology as well. And we looked at the issues with limited atonement and how Christ's blood is for everybody who calls upon him. And all the Calvinists in the room said, what? That's all good. <laughs> and, and we look at those, and we look at the difference between, and we came to a conclusion, because we're not going to solve it, and we're not going to find out what the real way to salvation is until we get to heaven. But as for what we know now, Jesus says, no man comes to the Father but by me. So we know Jesus is the only way uh, to salvation. Uh, and we just said, hey, choose God and find out he chose you. Simple as that. Choose God, find out he chose you. And there's scripture to back both of them. And it was fun. We had a great time talking for an hour and a half last week. Uh, and half of you fell asleep. Shame on you. No, not really. That's all good. Well, guys, tonight I want to get to tonight's message because there's a lot to go. So, Aaron, you can go to the next slide. And uh, guys, tonight we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 uh, through 7. Uh, but before we do that, we've got a few more things. Uh, this letter has a theme. It's got an overriding theme. Uh, and this theme is new life. Everyone say new life. New life. And, and this new life is the new life of the believer. That's why we're looking at these three things that have to do with the believer's life. And with new life... Uh, comes new standards, and we're going to talk about how as followers of Jesus, as Christians, uh, we, in our new life, have new standards. Everyone say new standards. Okay, and I'm not, I'm not talking about standards that we say, oh, look at me, I'm so much better than you because I live by these standards. No, we have standards because life after Christ will cause us to live a specific way, a certain way. And so we're going to look at the new standards that this book of Ephesians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, what it has uh, for each and every single one of us. This summed up very well is the richness, the reflection, and the readiness of the believer. Okay, so that being said, two weeks ago we looked at Acts chapter 19 and we saw when Paul goes to Ephesus. And that was the only background I really gave you. So we're going to give you a lot of background on uh, the city of Ephesus. So we're going to, I'm going to tell you some really cool uh, things about the city of Ephesus. For many of you who know me, I love history, but I also love geography. And I think it's important. I'm going through a, a study on hermeneutics right now, which is the way uh, to read scripture and interpret scripture. Uh, and one of the main things is, hey, we have to understand who the book is being written to, who's doing the writing, uh, and what is its main purpose. So tonight we're going to look a little bit at who the book was being written to. Everyone okay with that? Is it okay if we do that? It's just the introduction. So a brief look at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was the capital of Asia Minor. Uh, Asia Minor uh, is modern-day Turkey, okay? But Ephesus was the capital of Asia Minor during the Roman occupation time, the time that Jesus lived, the time that his disciples lived as well. As they stay in real estate, it's all about location, location, location. And Ephesus uh, had location, location, location. It was located on one of the main trade routes that went from the east to the west, and from the west to the east, and from the north to the south, and from the south to the north, and everything in between. Ephesus was at the heart of this trade route. 
Uh, not only was it here on the trade route and the roads that went through, but it was also there on uh, the river and it was near a seaport as well. So big ships could come in from the Mediterranean, whether it be from Rome, whether it be from Athens or Corinth uh, or Alexandria or Jerusalem. They could come in and then they could offload some things, just go right up the river, not that far, into Ephesus um, and, and sell and trade. And what this did for the city of Ephesus is it made Ephesus a very rich city. It was a wealthy city uh, that saw a lot of the Roman money going through it. Not only was it a rich city, but it was also an influential city. Okay? Uh, they had influence on the culture. They had influence on the Greek culture, on the Asian culture, and on the Roman culture also. This was like the hub. Okay, And the more I think about uh, this city, uh, the more it reminds me uh, of New York. Uh, and, and, and New York, there on a river, very close to the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, big trade, big money, um, and very influential. But then I think about it on, on, on a more uh, local scale, uh, and Ephesus reminds me a lot of Seattle, but it reminds me even more of Portland. Uh, Ephesus is very, very much like Portland. Uh, and, and as we're going to see as we continue to look through the book, uh, the people in Ephesus uh, maybe struggled with a lot of the same things that the people here in Portland struggle with. Uh, so I believe that this book not only is a letter written to the church that was in Ephesus, but I think it is good for each and every single one of us who live in the Pacific Northwest uh, to really be influenced by what this book uh, has to say. Uh, this was a big city, and, and it started being inhabited in about 2000 B.C., so we're talking just a little bit behind Abraham. Uh, there were some folks that started living in this region, and uh, uh, it continued to grow, continued to grow, continued to grow. Uh, and then in 133 B.C., when Rome takes over, uh, this becomes a uh, central city for the Roman Empire. And the city booms under the Roman Empire to up to 500,000 people. That's a big city back in the day. Not super big for us. It's still a pretty big city today. Um, but back then, this was like the city. Um, Rome was huge. Uh, Rome had about 2 million. So this is a really big city. Yes. Is this kind of like, like, like the capital of like Rome almost, like, like the star city, you know, like the city that's like, oh yeah, you want to go here before you visit other places. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to and we're gonna learn tonight, actually a little bit later on, why this was such a, uh, not only tourist site in the Roman Empire, um, but also it was a must-go-to place if you were a part of the Roman religion. So this was the city you got to go to. Um, it, I would compare it, uh, whereas... Um, Maybe Rome would be like New York City or Los Angeles. Uh, this would be Chicago or Houston, uh, probably one of the next big cities in the uh, in the empire. Uh, so very big. Uh, and among these 500,000 people in this population uh, was a very large Jewish population uh, in the city. Uh, we don't have time really to get into the history of the Jews, um, but there was a group of Jews called the Diaspora. Those were those who were uh, scattered after the Assyrians destroyed um, uh, Israel. Uh, and many of them settled there in Asia Minor in Ephesus. And Acts chapter 2 would tell us uh, that some of these Jews were there uh, in Jerusalem uh, for the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out uh, upon the early church there uh, at what we now call the Day of Pentecost. Uh, and, and some Ephesians heard about Christ, heard about the gospel, and brought it back. We, uh, we learn in Acts chapter 19 that Paul went uh, to Ephesus and he stayed there for three years. And what he did while he was there for three years, the reason why he was there for three years, uh, this was longer than he stayed at any other uh, city, but what he did with those who were there in Ephesus is he spent every single day teaching them the scriptures. 
starting from the very earliest, so Genesis, all the way through uh, to Malachi, and then taught them the gospel as well. And he said, this is the scriptures. And what he did was he didn't just explain the scriptures to them, but he explained verse by verse how the Old Testament, which for them was the Bible, um, fulfilled Christ, okay? Christ is fulfilled in the Old Testament. And, and he goes verse by verse showing them how everything is all about Jesus. But he doesn't only show them that in the Old Testament, but he also shows them how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Greeks and what they have been longing for and how everyone needs Jesus, okay? As we know, Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles, those who are non-Jewish. So he says, hey, Greeks, this is how you need Jesus as well. And this is how he's fulfilled in all of your thoughts and philosophies. Uh, and we know this uh, because of Acts chapter 20. You guys can go to Acts chapter 20 on your own time uh, and take a look at this um, because Paul is sitting there on the beach and he says, man, I have spent all this time and I've just looked through all the scriptures and told these people how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this. Um, Paul says, these are Paul's words there in Acts 20. He says, I have not shunned, but to share the whole counsel of God being the scriptures. Um, Paul shows us uh, here this expository uh, preaching. Uh, and so if Paul can do it, that's why I like doing the expository teaching verse by verse. Uh, I think it's important for each and every single one of us. And it's kind of revolutionary um, in the world of Christianity today. Uh, you see a lot of thematic uh, sermon series where they'll read one verse and then just talk for an hour about uh, the Blazer game or something like that. And then, oh yeah, and Jesus saves. It's just like when they make the, the, the final shot at the end of the game come in for the same. It's like, okay, that was a cool sermon, but we want to go verse by verse and see what uh, the whole counsel uh, of God has to say. We see uh, in Acts chapter 19, you guys can mark it in your Bible, highlight in your Bible, but Acts chapter 19, um, you can see the story of Paul there in Ephesus, okay? Uh, chapter 20 is where he talks about preaching. Chapter 19 is where we see him there in Ephesus. So it's two things for your notes. Write them both down. Um, and, and, and in the latter part of chapter 19, we just looked at the first part of chapter 19 two weeks ago. But there in the first part of, uh, there in the second part of chapter 19, uh, we see Paul get into a little bit of trouble um, with the Ephesians. And, and we don't have time to fully look at the story. Uh, but I met a young man uh, last week, him and his wife and his daughter. Uh, they are missionaries to Turkey. And they're going to be leaving here uh, and, and, and not that uh, short of time, and they're super cool people. You guys can be praying for them. They're, they're, their name is the Welties. Uh, very cool people. And I was talking to him, and I was like, hey, we're starting Ephesians uh, this next week, uh, and you've been to Ephesus. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Ephesian uh, way of life from, from your knowledge um, of modern-day Turkey and ancient Turkey. And so he, he told me when he was there, he went to um, – this stadium where you can see Acts 19, Paul is there in the stadium, that seats back in the day, this is 25,000 to 30,000 people. Okay, just to put that into modern day perspective, Autzen Stadium where the Oregon Ducks play, go Ducks, okay, that seats about 55,000, okay, about 35,000, that's Reeser Stadium if you're a Beavers fan, okay, so we're talking 2,000 years ago, a stadium the same size, okay. All for them to do plays and to worship the goddess Diana. 
Okay, uh, so so my friend Jacob Welty, he was telling me uh, this story that he heard from the tour guide um, about this Acts 19 experience. And he says, hey, this is crazy because Acts 19 just gives us a little bit uh, line by line what happens. But this is what it would really look like. And when you're there, if you've ever been to a place that's talked about in the Bible, it'll just blow your mind away. And so they're here in this place. Uh, and he says, imagine 30,000 angry Greeks all chanting for two hours, that's what the Bible tells us, for two hours, praise the goddess Diana, the goddess of Ephesus. Praise the goddess Diana, goddess of Ephesus. Just two hours, nonstop, that's all they're saying, and they want to kill you. Okay, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Old Testament story uh, where Elijah's there up on Mount Carmel, and they're all running around cutting themselves, uh, praising the prophet, ba- uh, pra- praising the false god Baal. Uh, and then Elijah says, all right, it's time God's going to uh, rain down. Uh, but so what happens in this whole deal, and you can read it in Acts chapter 19. It just gives a good uh, little preface for the book of uh, Ephesians. Um, a Roman steps up and says, hey, we need to be quiet, calm down, because uh, we can get in trouble. And the Romans can come in here and just level the city because they don't want uproars. Uh, since your God's not really doing anything, let's let Paul go. And so Paul's able to uh, escape. And, uh, and is able to live free, which is pretty amazing, and it's a miracle, uh, if you ask me. So Paul establishes this church uh, in Ephesus after being there three years. Um, and if you guys want to know where Ephesus is, I, I should show you this just a little bit earlier. Um, to put it in perspective, here's Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey. That's Greece. A little red dot's going to come jumping in. There it is, Ephesus right there by the coast. And then the arrow's going to sprint around just if you didn't see the red dot. There it is. You guys all know where Ephesus is now? Awesome. Okay. Yes. Ephesus. Turkey. Good times. Thanksgiving. Amen. Okay. Uh, so he establishes this church, uh, and then he goes back, and he's writing this letter to them from where? How is Paul writing them uh, this letter? He is in jail. Okay? And, and, and so he's writing this letter from jail. But remember this church in Ephesus. It's a church that grows and is strong. But just 30 years after Paul was there, Jesus, in the book of Revelation, writes them a letter and says what? I have this one thing against you that you forgot your first love. Okay, And that's a warning to us as the church today that we not forget our first love. After Paul was there, Timothy is set up of the bishop of this church. And after Timothy, uh, a guy by the name of John, yeah, he wrote a gospel. He wrote three epistles in the book of Revelation. He's kind of an important character. Uh, John becomes uh, the bishop there in Ephesus. Uh, It's very likely uh, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, went with John and was with John in Ephesus. And that's where she spent her last days because Jesus then, when on the cross, commissioned that John take care of his mother. You guys remember that whole narrative? Okay. Uh, And the Christian historian Eusebius uh, would tell us this is what happened. All right. Uh, so in 360 A.D., the Goths destroy uh, the city of Ephesus, level the Temple of Diana, uh, and and by the 10th century uh, A.D., there was zero population in Ephesus. And if you go to Ephesus today, uh, 75% of that once great city uh, is in rubble or is buried under sand. Only 25% of it remains to this day. Uh, but John asked the question, hey, was this like a city you had to go to when you were in uh, the Roman Empire? Yes. And the city was famous for its worship of Diana, the goddess Diana. Uh, Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, It was the Mecca of uh, the Roman religion, much like Mecca is for Islam. 
Jerusalem is for Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity. And this, uh, this, this temple to Diana, the seventh wonder of the world, uh, just so you guys know when we get to the sermon, okay, uh, was four times the size of the Parthenon there in Athens. So it's a big, big building. Um, and it took 220 years uh, to build. Just a little bit on Diana, uh, and, and then we're going to dive in uh, tonight. Uh, she was uh, the mother earth goddess of Rome. Uh, she was the protector of young women, uh, and she aided uh, women in childbirth. Crazy, crazy stuff. Many of you guys have probably seen a picture. Uh, she's got like 100 breasts, uh, and she's crazy. Uh, and, and, they, and they say that image just fell out of the sky. Zeus gave it to him, and they said, hey, it's Diana. Let's worship her. Um, so it's crazy. Uh, so Paul's writing this letter uh, while under house arrest. He, he's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Uh, Philippians would tell us that some of these prison guards became Christians, which is really cool. Uh, and uh, someone comes and visits Paul while he's there, a guy by the name of Tychicus. Uh, and Paul tells Tychicus uh, uh, to deliver this letter that he's written to the church uh, in Ephesus, uh, to the church in Ephesus. Um, and we see this in chapter uh, 6. Before we get any further, I just want to let you guys know uh, Paul's style for writing, just so we can be uh, ready as we dive into chapter 1 in just like two minutes. Uh, Paul's style of writing in not only this gospel, uh, not only this epistle uh, to the Ephesians, but in all 13 of his letters, um, the, he, he always breaks it down into doctrine, then duty. Doctrine, then duty. Doctrine, then duty. Uh, so as we're going to see uh, here in uh, this letter to the church of Ephesus, uh, Chapters 1 through 3 are going to be all about doctrine. We're going to hear doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And chapters 4 through 6 are all going to be about the duty or the application of that doctrine to our everyday life. This doctrine and this duty combined will paint the picture for us of, of the richness, the reflections, and the readiness of the believer. Okay, general layout done, intro done. We're diving into the sermon. We okay with that? How you guys doing? You guys, you guys need like a water break, need to stand up, stretch. Okay, everyone stand up and just stretch a little bit. Oh, there we go. We're all stretching. All right, good. Thank you, Dusty, for standing up. Thanks, Olivia. There we go. Yeah, stand up and stretch, guys. We're just getting started. That was the intro. It's time for the sermon. It's time for the sermon. We uh, we've only been going we've only been going 26 minutes, so we still got like another half hour. All right, here we go. I like it. Are you guys ready? Okay. So tonight, uh, Aaron, I think you can hit that next slide. Uh, oh, here we go. We're actually getting into the Bible. Amen. How many of you guys are still in Ephesians chapter one? You guys still in Ephesians chapter one? I'm still stretching. Still stretching. Praise the Lord. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. You guys all there? Let me know if you're there by saying holla. You guys there, holla? Let me know if you're not there by saying hold up. Hold up. All right. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasures of his will, to the grace of the glory of his, uh, to the praise of his glory and grace 
by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. Guys, tonight what we're going to do, Aaron, you can hit the next slide, is we're going to be looking at the richness of the believer. Everyone say, the richness of the believer. The reason I have you guys do this is so I can make sure you're not falling asleep on me. Got to keep you guys all up to speed. Uh, and what we're really going to do tonight, guys, is we're going to take uh, a look or an introduction into each and every single one of our bank accounts. We're going to take a look at one another's bank accounts. Some of you are like, I don't want anyone to look at my bank account. I don't got no money. Some people say, well, I don't want people to look at my bank account because then they'll know I'll have so much money. They're going to keep asking me for stuff. No, we're not talking about that kind of bank account. Not talking about our material uh, and our uh, financial bank accounts. I'm talking about our spiritual bank accounts, our richness uh, that we have uh, in Jesus. Before I go any further, I just want to let you guys know that Ephesus was the banking city of Rome. This was like where Wall Street was in Rome. Okay, so, so, so these people knew all about bank accounts. Uh, so when Paul is writing to them about the richness of a believer and this new life of, as a believer, they knew all about riches. Um, but I just want to encourage each and every single one of us not to be ignorant uh, about our lives uh, in Christ. So many people uh, go through their life thinking uh, that they are broke spiritually and that God is just some little good thing that sits on their right shoulder, tells them when to do good, and that the devil's this little guy that sits on your left shoulder and tells you to do bad things. And they go through life thinking that God is small and that they have nothing spiritually. But we need to know what is in our bank account. There's a very famous story of an old lady, turn of the 20th century, here in America, who when she died, her estate was $100 million. We're talking in the early 1900s. A hundred million dollars. That's a lot of money back then, and that's a lot of money today. Uh, instead of this uh, lady that she ate her oats cold because she didn't want to pay to heat them up, uh, when her son uh, had injured his leg, uh, she waited so long because um, she was looking for a free clinic because she didn't want to pay, um, that uh, he ended up having to get his leg amputated. Um, this girl was a tightwad, um, and when she died, she had this huge account. Uh, and she didn't know what she had because she thought she was poor. She legitimately had no clue what she had. She thought she was poor. Uh, and by the end of it, she had $100 million. And she went her entire life not even realizing that she had riches. And so many Christians, guys, live their lives not even knowing uh, the blessings, not even knowing the richness uh, that we have in Christ. Uh, verse 1, uh, it, Paul says, I'm an apostle uh, by God's will. Uh, and, and, I, and I would ask the question, how can Paul say that he was apostle, an apostle by God's will? How did Paul know that this was what uh, he's supposed to do? Many of us remember the story there in Acts. Uh, and, and, and Paul has his road to Damascus experience. And he sees Jesus and he, Paul says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one who you're persecuting. And what does Paul do after that? Paul asks one specific question and he says, what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do, Lord? What is your will for me? And how many of us have, as Christians, maybe we've been Christians a long time, maybe we've been Christians a short time, how many of us have really asked that question, God, what is your will for my life? God, what do you want me to do? And this is a question I would encourage uh, that all believers uh, should ask. Um, God, what is your will for my life? I can stand up in front of you guys today and say, I am Matt Morris, a pastor by God's will. 
Because I know that what God's will uh, for my life is. It's exciting uh, to be in God's will. Okay, It is exciting to be in God's will. So we need to ask the question because this richness is there. Um, and you might be out there thinking to yourself, well, God hasn't told me yet. God hasn't told me what his will is for me. Um, well, I would say, yes, he has. Um, and you're like, well, maybe not specifically. And I'd say, yeah, maybe not yet. But God has a plan, and God reveals his plan to each and every single one of us. Romans chapter 12 says, As we lay ourselves down as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service. Okay, Guys, when we lay ourselves down, when we really say, All right, God, I don't care about what I want to do. God, what do you want for my life? I can guarantee this. God will make that clear to you in only a way that God can make it clear only a way that God can make it clear. It's nothing that we can fabricate on our own, but God will make his plan for each and every single one of our lives clear to us uh, when we lay down our own wants, when we lay down our own desires, when we come to the end of ourselves and say, God, I have nothing left but you. Take me where my faith is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you'll go. And then God will say, all right, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. And God will show you uh, his will. Uh, so we need to step out of the way uh, and let him show um, and even if you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm so messed up. Uh, I, I, I've done so many things. Uh, I've been exposed to so many things. Uh, I've just messed my life up. Circumstances have messed my life up. My parents have left, uh, messed my life up. Uh, my brother, my sister, they've messed me up. Uh, my friends have messed me up. School messed me up. Um, if you think your life has messed you up, um, ask God. Because even, even with how you are now, you're a work in progress. And God still has a plan for you. God still has a purpose for you. God still has a will for your life. So whether you think you're too far gone, guess what? There's no one that's too far gone for Jesus. And God will show you his plan and his will for your life. Um, this is just one of the first riches and blessings that we have uh, in Christ. I know it's not up on the slide. So, Aaron, you can kill that one. Uh, no, you can take that one out. No, take those out. Take those out. There we go. Okay, those come later. Those come later. So this is the bonus, bonus spiritual blessing for you guys uh, tonight. Uh, God has a purpose, a plan, and a will for your life, and all you need to do is ask. Here's another little bonus for you. You guys ready for this extra bonus of the night? This isn't as up there, Aaron. Uh, but verse 1 also says... Paul writing to the saints. How many of you, you guys know what the word saint is in Greek? Santios? No. It is hagios. Everyone say hagios. Hagios is the Greek word uh, for saint. And what does saint mean? Well, maybe you'd go and you'd look up saint in Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. I will tell you that Merriam-Webster's Dictionary is not going to give you a good definition of the word saint. Merriam-Webster is going to tell you that a saint uh, is someone who is officially nominated uh, or venerated um, as someone who lived a pious life. Uh, it's also going to tell you that they need to be dead and they have come before you and that this is something only to be achieved and canonized by the church. That is the definition of a saint. Um, so you got to be near perfect and you got to be dead. So I guess that discludes all of us of being saints. Uh, but that's not the case. Uh, the New Testament uh, way of defining saint, uh, the New Living Translation would say, or replace that word saint there, uh, with all those who are living in Christ. 
Uh, guys, legitimately, the word hagios, saint, means those who are living their lives in Christ. Remember, Ephesians, the whole book, in him, 27 times. Us as believers, new life in Christ, in him. If you are living your life in Christ, uh, folks, you are our saints. We are all saints. If you want, you can call me from now on, St. Matthew, and I'll call you St. whatever. It's biblical. Uh, it sounds really weird, so don't do it. Um, but it's biblical. Uh, so it's all the faithful uh, in Christ are um, saints. Okay. Uh, verse 2, Paul offers us grace and peace. These are also bonus riches uh, that we have in Christ. But now we're going to get to the, the meat of it all. How many of you guys are ready for the sermon uh, to almost be over? Okay, well, it's not almost <laughs> over, but now we're getting to the meat of the sermon. Uh, verse 3, verse three, Paul tells us all about spiritual blessings and that we are going to receive spiritual blessings. God blesses us. How many of you guys would say, I've been blessed? How many of you guys have woke up this morning, you looked outside and you said, oh, God has blessed us, there's no more snow, I can get to work. Praise the Lord. For those of you from California, you say... I meant no snow. Uh, <laughs> how many of you guys have maybe, maybe you got a new car, and you're like, man, God has blessed me with this car. Or you got into the class you needed to in school. You say, oh, man, God has blessed me with this class. Maybe you got an extra paycheck and you didn't even know it. Tax time, tax returns. You get a big tax return. You're like, oh, my goodness, God has blessed me. And these are all great blessings. But these are not the blessings that are part of the package deal that come with salvation that we're going to learn about tonight. Yes, these are all great blessings. And yes, we need to thank God. Um, but blessings uh, are not what we want. Okay, I'm not saying we don't want to receive blessings. I'm saying what we want and when we receive it, that's not exactly our blessing. What we name and claim and we receive, that's not exactly our blessing. We can't know exactly what we need, but God above who knows everything, who's created everything, he knows what each and every single one of us needs, and he gives to us freely. God gives to us freely all these blessings. And when we think of blessings, we tend to think of blessings at the physical level. Um, but when we think of these physical level blessings, we come to a realization that these physical level blessings truly don't bring us satisfaction. Okay? A new car, man, you might be satisfied for a few weeks, but then you got to fill the tank. I ain't about that life. I know. I ain't about that life either. The new house. It's all great until you got to start paying electric bills and gas bills. And some of you guys didn't even know there's such a thing as utilities. you got to pay for them when you get a house. It's crazy. Okay? So it's a blessing, but it doesn't bring satisfaction. Man, you got into the class you wanted. You needed this class to graduate. How many of you guys know that classes are not satisfying? Praise God for being done with college. Amen? Anyone else in the room done with college? Holla. All right. So satisfaction cannot be found in these physical blessings. Yeah, maybe a little temporary satisfaction, but it's not a satisfaction that will last. Uh, but God gives us blessings that last. And these are spiritual blessings. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 103. Actually, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. Uh, psalm 103 uh, is a psalm. Check this out. It is a psalm that was written by Moses. Crazy, I know, right? So Moses writes this psalm in Psalm 103. 
Um, no, I take that back. I take that back. We're going to get to a psalm written by Moses. That's Psalm chapter 90. We're not there yet. Psalm 103, David uh, is writing this psalm. And David says, it sounds really familiar to us now today. But David writes this in Psalm 103. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It, Matt Redmond puts it very well. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his name. And then the second verse says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his endless blessings. Some translations say, forget not his spiritual blessings and that he forgives all. First off, forgiveness is a great blessing. We're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. Um, but guys, we're going to talk about the spiritual blessings uh, that God has for us. The first spiritual blessing, now you can hit it, Aaron. The first spiritual blessing is that we are chosen. Say woohoo one more time. Thank you, Haley. <laughs> woohoo! Guys, we are chosen, and that is a cool, cool thing. Now, last week we looked at this and we talked about what it means to be chosen. Um, and some people have a little issue with, ah, but I chose God. I prayed a prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Didn't I choose him? And we talked about that last week. And if you're here this week and you didn't, and you weren't here last week, and you want a little bit of understanding about what we talked about last week, uh, we record the sermons. Just come up uh, and ask me, and I can get you a copy of it, because we're really not going to dive into that hour and a half long sermon again tonight. But let this be known, and I want you guys all to hear this, and I want us all to come to the realization that this is what it is when it comes to Jesus. God's sovereign choice, okay, God's sovereign choice. God has the ultimate choice of who is saved and who is not. Okay, but check this out. God's sovereign choice has never precluded anyone who wants to be saved. Let me restate that one more time. God's sovereign choice. God has the choice, but God's sovereign choice has never precluded anyone who wants to be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. That's not what Matt says. That's not what Jacobus Arminius said all those years ago. That's what the Bible says. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So hey, call upon the Lord, you're saved. Guess what? Once you call upon the name of the Lord and you're saved, you can realize, hey, God chose me. This is legit. I heard it put one way, and this is the best way I've ever heard it put. A man walks into a hallway, and there's like five doors in front of him. And he's like, man, I don't know which door to go through. They all look like cool doors. And one door says, uh, this is the way to ultimate relaxation uh, and nirvana. Okay, sounds like a really, I don't know what it means. Uh, is Kurt Cobain playing? I don't know. The next door uh, is a door that, uh, it, it says, if you want to spend the rest of your life with a hundred virgins, hop in this door. And everyone's like, I don't know, that sounds a little weird. And so then they keep on moving down the line. And then there's a door that says, hey, you can choose this door and you can live with God forever in eternity. And you're like, man, that sounds like a great idea. Sounds like a great idea. So you walk up to that door, and you open the door, and you go in. And when you go into the room, you see a banquet table set up. It's a big dinner table. And when you get there, you see a little name tag that has your name on it. As if someone was expecting you to come. You were already invited, and the person who was doing the inviting already knew you were coming, but you had to choose the door. And then, then once you close the door behind you, go take a seat in your seat and get ready to eat dinner. You take a look back at the door, and you say, these are the chosen of God before the foundation of time. So yeah, you had to go open the door, but once you get in, you realize, hey, God already knew I was coming. Praise the Lord. Choose God. 
and find out he chose you. It's the dichotomy between free will and sovereign election. Amen. They both come into play. And, 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 and that's just how it, how it goes down. God's sovereign choice um, is there, uh, but he never turns away anyone uh, who comes to Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself tells us to come. Um, so how does this all work? Uh, before the beginning of time, uh, this is a really good uh, phrase. Uh, how many of you guys know who Charles Spurgeon is? Uh, amen to Charles Spurgeon. That dude's a boss. Uh, Spurgeon was once uh, said to have said this very phrase. He said, it's a good thing that God chose me before he created the world and before I was born. Because if he didn't choose me then, he definitely wouldn't have chose me now. And uh, aren't we glad that God chose us before the foundation uh, of earth? Um, First Peter tells us, uh, it can be explained through foreknowledge. God foreknew that we were going to choose. Um, God has foreknowledge. We don't have foreknowledge. I wish I had foreknowledge because, man, I'd be rich betting on the Super Bowl. Um, but no, we don't have foreknowledge, but God does. But First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 tells us, it's Peter writing to the church in Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, uh, Cappadocia, to the elect who are foreknown by God. Okay, uh, and, and, and so we can see this here. Psalm 90, which is a psalm written by Moses, uh, says that we live out our days as if they were a story that is already told. Okay, God seeing the big picture, everything before it happens, we here in this finite world, we make a choice and realize, hey, God had chosen us long before the foundations of the earth, long before time happened. I don't understand all how it works. Um, I, I'm okay to admit that. Uh, and I'm pretty sure any pastor, theologian, whatever, they might claim to know how it works, but deep down they really don't know how it works either. Uh, there's only one who knows how it works, and that's God. Um, and so I don't lose sleep over it, and I hope you guys don't lose sleep over it too. It's good to, 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 to understand that tension's there. Um, and we talked about last week how a bridge is held up uh, by that tension. Uh, and I said, John wasn't here. He's the engineer. He could tell us, but he's here tonight. So he could come up and draw a bridge for you, but we don't have time for that tonight. Uh, just know that one of our spiritual blessings is that God has chosen us. And that's pretty cool. So I want you to take your left index finger, when you put it up in the air like this, and then put it right at your chest and say, hey, God picked me. God picked me. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ tonight, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ tonight, hey, God picked you. That's a cool thing. That's cool. That God values us so much that he chose us. And I think that's really cool. It's a big deal. The second blessing that we receive, We're praise God for second blessing, is we are adopted. Wait, what? We're adopted. And this is really cool. We can see this in verse 5, uh, that we are adopted uh, as sons by Jesus Christ. But I want to clarify real quick how this all works. Because this is not we are adopted into the family of God. Okay, uh, We are born into the family of God. When we give our hearts to the Lord and we are born again, we are born into God's family. That's not what this word adoption here means. We're like, you are not part of my family, but now I'm going to adopt you and you're part of my family. That's not what this is saying. Okay, We are born into God's family when we are born again. But this word adoption here is a word that was used in the Roman times and in the Greek times and really in the Jewish times. For when someone was given the rights of the eldest son. In Jewish culture, when someone was given the rights of the eldest son. Now what does this mean to be given the rights of the eldest son? Well, i got to do a little bit of Jewish background for you guys. What does the oldest son receive? 
He receives the blessing and the inheritance. Okay? And he can receive the inheritance at any point. At any point. Okay? We see in the story of the prodigal son, the younger, who gets a little bit of the inheritance also. He says, I want mine now. I want mine now. And he goes and squanders it. But the eldest son receives the whole inheritance. Well, when Jesus says, and when Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, hey, you are adopted into this family, he's saying, hey, Jesus has now given you the right of the eldest son, which means you can have the joy and the experience of your inheritance in Christ now. That's what it means to be adopted by Christ. We can receive the joy of the inheritance that we have in salvation. Now that is a blessing if I've ever heard one before. We can experience the joy of salvation and everything that comes along with it now. We have the hope. You guys remember as we were studying 1 Thessalonians just a few months ago. Hope, the absolute expectancy of good to come. What is the good to come? Guys, we're going to spend an eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is amazing. And we have that joy, we have that hope, and we have that inheritance now. That's cool. And I'm blessed by that. I think that's really cool. The third one, uh, we can see it in verse 6, that we are accepted. We are accepted by Jesus. That's a cool thing to me. I mean, I can't put it any other way. That's just cool. That Jesus accepts me the way I am. Jesus accepts you the way you are. He values you. That's amazing. So many people in our culture today, in all times, they struggle with value. They're like, man, I don't see value in myself. I don't feel like my parents value me. My friends value me. I just don't feel valued. But guess what? God values you so much. And he accepts you just the way you are. That's amazing. That's amazing. I want to just maybe break a cliche with you if that's okay. Uh, Many of you have heard, if you've ever been to Sunday school, uh, have you ever accepted Jesus? Um, yeah, it's a great thing, um, and, and, and it's cool, uh, but we're going to get some terminology correct. Uh, we don't accept Jesus uh, as if he is um, some man standing outside our door, freezing in the snow, uh, and it's just standing there shivering, looking, and, and, and we look out the window and we're like, oh, hey, Jesus, you look a little cold out there. You want another heart to come stay in where it's warm? Um, I'm going to accept you. That's not how it works. Uh, we receive Jesus. Okay, we receive Jesus. And in receiving Jesus, hey, guess what? Jesus accepts us. So I know it's just a little cliche. I'm not like stomping on your Sunday school days of, oh, I accepted Jesus. Yeah, you answered the call of the Holy Spirit drawing you onto this decision. Uh, and, 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 and you received Jesus. And now he's in you. And you are being accepted by him. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Okay, Um, so we receive Jesus and Jesus accepts us. And I think that's the coolest thing, that Jesus accepts me. Not only that he chose me, I think that is amazing, that God chose me uh, before the foundations of time. Not only that he's adopted me and given me the right uh, of the eldest where I can uh, receive this joy and this inheritance right now, uh, but the fact that Jesus just accepts me for who I am, I think that's the coolest thing uh, 
that we are accepted. That's such a sweet blessing, such a sweet richness that we have as believers. Not only do we have salvation, we are saved from eternal damnation, but we can spend an eternal uh, life and eternity with Christ in heaven. That's awesome. That's salvation. That's the gospel. But this package deal that comes with salvation, we're chosen, we're adopted, and we're accepted by Jesus. This is so cool. The next one, the fourth one, and, and, and just so you guys know, we have five. Uh, so we're coming to the end. We're doing good. Um, the fourth blessing that we receive from Christ uh, in conjunction with salvation uh, is we are redeemed. Uh, verse 7 tells us that we are redeemed. Um, and we talked a little bit about redemption last week. Uh, but did you know that in the Roman Empire there was over 6 million slaves? Okay, over 6 million slaves. Uh, this is more than half the Roman Empire. Okay, More than half the Roman Empire was all slaves. Redemption to us um, is, is just a term uh, that is kind of synonymous with Christianity. Um, but redemption is not a Christian term. Redemption is a slavery term. Uh, and what redemption means literally is that me, a free person, goes and buys another slave's freedom so that now that slave can be free I pull them out of slavery and now make them a free man. Someone had to do this because they loved the slave, because they cared for the slave, and they said, hey, I am willing to lay down a sacrifice so I can redeem the slave. That's pretty legit that Jesus loved us so much uh, that he paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, that he laid down his life. He gave his life for each and every single one of us. He shed his blood for our redemption. His blood paid the price so that we could be free, so that we could be set free from slavery, from bondage. And I am so blessed that Jesus cared so much about me that he paid for my freedom. He paid for my freedom. That's amazing. And uh, I hope when you guys leave here tonight, anytime you hear the word redeemed or redemption, you guys understand the weight of that word. Because uh, it's not... Redemption... Uh, no slave deserves redemption. I want us all to be clear with that. No slave deserved redemption. Um, but it was because a master loved them uh, and set them free. Uh, and you guys did not receive... Uh, you guys did not deserve to be redeemed. You guys did not deserve to be accepted. I didn't deserve to be adopted. I didn't deserve to be chosen. But God in his sovereignty, God in his perfect character, and his goodness, and in his grace said, hey, I love you. I'm going to set you free. I think that's amazing. So if you walk away with me tonight, walk away with, man, Jesus has set me free. And that's cool. Not only did he set you free, I'm going to ask Bo to come back up to the guitar um, and start playing. I, I, I heard when you preach it, if you have music in the background, it makes it sound more spiritual. So we're going we're gonna to test it out tonight. Uh, but, uh, but, 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 but the fifth blessing that we have, uh, the fifth spiritual blessing that we receive along with salvation, uh, guys, is we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven. Um, and so forgiveness is that fifth one. Uh, and I want you guys, I want you to write these down. We're chosen. We're adopted. We're accepted. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. Uh, and all these things are great, but without forgiveness, we're just still sinners. But God has forgiven us. Uh, the psalmist says, God, you've forgotten my sins. As far as the east is from the west, 
You've forgotten my sins. And I don't know about you guys, but I know what I struggle with. And I know what my sins are. And, uh, and they're probably not that different from what you guys struggle with. Because all sin is, uh, is common to man. Um, but I'm so happy that God sees me as if I've never sinned. Because He's forgiven me. It's this fancy word we use in theology called justification. We've been justified by our faith in Christ. And justification breaks down in such a simple way that we can all remember how justification works. Justification is God sees us justified, never sinned. I think that's amazing. That God loves us so much that He sent His Son to come and die a death that we all deserve just so that we can have His forgiveness, so that we can be redeemed so that he can accept us, so that we can be adopted in and receive the inheritance, and we can find out he chose us. So guys, I just want to encourage you, y'all with that, I know most of you, uh, and, and, and some of you I just met tonight, uh, but, but, but I know most of us well, and I want to encourage you guys tonight, if you have not made the decision to follow Christ, make the decision tonight. Make the decision tonight. It'll be the most important decision you make in your life. And guess what? Not only will you be saved from hell, so many people, that's the first reason why, man, I just don't want to go to hell. God saved me. But then they realize there's so much more in the package. And it's these blessings. And we can have a rich life as a believer. So I want to encourage you, uh, if you haven't done that tonight, make that decision. The book of Romans tells us that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is God and that God raised him from the dead, we're saved. God demonstrated his love towards us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And maybe you all know this already. Uh, and this is just a good, healthy reminder that, hey, it's not just rules. It's not just regulations. It's relationship. And Jesus loves us. So maybe this is encouragement for you guys to go from this place tonight and to share this with someone else. So that when your friends know, so that when your family members know, maybe a co-worker, classmate, person who sits next to you in your biology class and you just hate them because they chew their gum way too loud, Jesus loves them. And he's placed you there to let them know Jesus loves them. So like this song that we've been singing says, God, take me to the place where my faith is without borders. Let me step out. Because maybe, like I said earlier, you've been asking God what his will is for your life, but you haven't stepped out of the way yet. I'm going to encourage each and every single one of you guys tonight, step out of the way. Allow God to take you where your trust is without borders, where your faith may wander, where you can walk upon the waters. Like Peter stepped out of the boat with eyes on Christ, started walking to him. We can do that tonight. And maybe that step of faith is just you going and sharing the fact that Jesus loves them. And now that you know these five spiritual blessings that you have, go share them with them. Let them know, hey, Jesus loves you. They say, all right, I want to receive his love. And then you can let them know, man, if you receive Jesus, you're going to find out he chose you, he adopted you, he accepts you. He accepts you, he redeems you, and he's forgiven you. So I just want us to pray and then I want us to sing this song and really declare it tonight. Jesus, take me. Spirit, lead me where I'm uncomfortable. 
Because Christianity is not just a bunch of foo-foo, comfortable stuff. God likes to take us out of our comfort zone. I mean, Paul got stinking driven out of the city of Ephesus. We didn't talk about that. He got dragged out of the city. He had to leave. He didn't want him, but he had to. God takes us outside our comfort zones. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much, God, that you love us. God, that since the beginning of time, you chose us. God, and you have adopted us. And you've accepted us. God, that you've redeemed us. You've forgiven us. And God, that you've saved us. God, that we've been justified. If we've put our faith in you, God, you have justified us. And you see us as if we've never sinned. God, we thank you that you are sanctifying us. And as we continue to live for you and we push on, um, God, for righteousness, God, you'll sanctify us. God, we thank you that one day, one glorious day, whether it be your return or if our time on this earth expires, God, we thank you that we will be glorified and we will spend an eternity in your presence. The justification, the sanctification, the glorification. God, all just big theological words that really mean you love us and you have a plan for us and you have a future for us. So God, we thank you. God, we thank you for the riches that we have as followers of you. God, the richness of the believer. God, I pray that we would walk away from here tonight richer in our spiritual lives because of what you have for us in your word. God, and we pray that you would take us. God, that your spirit would lead us where we're going to be uncomfortable. And God, that in that uncomfortableness, God, that you would grow us and that you would build us into the people that you want us to be. God, we thank you that you have a plan for each and every single one of our lives. And God, may you just help us step out of the way and invite you in. So God, we thank you. We praise you. Take me deep.